Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can access the full interview and get related links. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. I'm Carrie McCoy, and like Tim said, it's time for me to get up in your business. For the next hour, my guest, Kate Anderson Askew, owner-operator of the Yellow Dog Press and founder of Kate Askew Auctions and Appraisals, and I will be getting up in the business of printing presses, rare book collections, and how to become a successful online reseller. We hope through our storytelling of how we maneuvered the path of independence and leadership in pursuit of our dreams that you will be inspired. And if you feel so inclined, we'll be answering questions via phone and email. For me, it began over 40 years ago when I founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, Arkansas Flag and Banner has grown and morphed from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales and now relies heavily on the internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in company thinking and procedures. My confidence, leadership knowledge, and my company grew. My initial $400 investment now produces nearly $4 million in annual sales. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between me and my guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that I hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. Running a business or organization is like so many things. It takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. But it's paid off now because it has now grown and expanded so much that to operate efficiently, we require 10 departments and 25 people to manage them, thus reminding us all again that small businesses are the fuel of our economic engine. Before we start, I want to introduce my technician, Tim Bowen who will be running the board and taking your calls, say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. My guest today is Kate Anderson Askew, sole owner and operator of the Yellow Dog Press in Little Rock, Arkansas. Kate has always been a ferocious reader, evidenced by the library in her home and her avid love of books and the printed word. For many years, she's worked for estate sellers as their book, paper, and ephemera. I'm going to see if I can get this Ephemera. Thank you. I have ephemeral. Been practicing. Ephemera. Uh-huh. And this ephemeral specialist, which is a new word that I just learned Good. while doing your research. Good. In 2002, she started her own business of buying and selling rare printed materials via the Internet. When Kate spotted in the classified section of the newspaper an antique printing press complete with handset types available for sale, she purchased it and took her love of the printed word to another level. In 2008, Kate officially opened the Yellow Dog Printing Press. This is not your atypical printing company. Her method of printing doesn't include an inkjet, laser, or even an offset printing machine. Instead, she handsets each individual letter, number, or character onto her 1903 Chandler and Price Platin Press or her Vandercook 4 Press inks up the platen and literally cranks out original one-of-a-kind limited edition prints on posters, cards, or other paper goods. In addition, Kate is a licensed art appraiser, book appraiser, and you said you let your auctioneer license lapse. I did. You can't do everything. I know, right? So, okay, I'm taking that one out. And she does that under her business which is her LLC, Kate Askew Auctions and Appraisals. I guess you've dropped the I've auctions. Changed, I've changed that. Yeah. What is it now? It's just Kate Anderson Askew LLC, and that encompasses Arkansas Bookseller, Yellow, uh, Yellow Dog Press, and uh, Appraisals, my appraisal business. Oh, 
you put it all under an umbrella. Yes. That's what it's like when you're married to a lawyer. That's he right. can do stuff like yeah, that for exactly. you. I think you can do that online now. He's going to work. Yeah, his... it's not that hard. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's a pleasure to welcome to the table the most interesting, and you'll like this, endearingly eccentric Kate. Oh, that's so sweet. Askey. Thank you. You're welcome. So this is not your usual MO. No, it's not. You like to be behind a book or a printing press. Well, or one-on-one. It makes me <clears throat> really nervous. So I've known you for a long time, and I think we need to disclose, which we already disclosed on our Facebook Live episode before the show. We're that cousins. By marriage. By marriage, but we claim each other outright. That's right. Um, I've never met anybody like you. I've never met anybody like you. You've <laughs> been a huge influence on my life. You were the first person who looked at me and said, Girl, you are afraid to make a dollar. And you need to stop that. That's so true about you. I know. I know. I bet you told me that like, I don't know, 25 years ago, you were like, girl, this is how you're going to make some money. And, and I'm you gonna still help don't you. care. It's not that I don't care. It's just sometimes it gets in the way of doing my work. You are motivated by passion. I'm motivated by passion. I'm also motivated by covering the rent on my shop. So, you know, that does come in to the into play so and and neither one of those that's so funny you should say that because I was thinking about that when I was making up your questions today Mm -hmm. which it looks like we're not going to get we're not going to follow at all my questions which is great maybe we'll get to them I don't know but uh I was thinking about that this morning I thought you are you you follow your passion you work towards what is is self-interesting and motivating to you and I on the other hand uh was motivated in my young life to have to work for money because I had to make rent and I had to and I had to uh, you know I didn't really have a payroll but I had to make rent and pay for myself so not that either one of them are wrong but they're great motivators to help you find your dream and seek what you want to do and I love that both of our paths have led us into uh, places that are fulfilling and and things that we love and things we love well and I fell into book buying and selling as a need to not have to be in a cubicle because, um, you know, I knew I, I wanted to, I had stayed home for a while with my kids, and I wanted to get back into the working world. I didn't want to be in a cubicle. And um, I started buying and selling things on eBay. And I realized that that was a really great way to, you know, be in your pajamas and make some money. Mm-hmm. And so I started out with, this was 1998. I you were the first successful uh, eBay seller that I ever knew you knew okay Uh yeah but not I mean I I was late to the game in 98 but anyway I started buying and selling things and what I realized I was good at buying and selling were books so I grew up in a bookish household a very bookish household my dad's a book collector he's never been a dealer but he's a lifelong book collector so I had a great love of books great love of reading Um, was an English major at Vanderbilt I was going to ask you yeah studied um all kinds of literature and spent a lot of time in the rare book uh, stacks at Vanderbilt. And so uh, when I realized I was good at buying and selling books, I thought, well, that makes sense. That's what I know. So I've decided to stick with what I knew and it exclusively began buying and selling books. Um, I wondered if your degree in college played into your career and it actually did. Yeah, it did. Because not everybody can say that. I kind of segued a little bit. Um, yeah, because when I first got out of college, I remember I, ha- I had a degree in English literature and I minored in philosophy and psychology. I think I can't really remember. I had some kind of minor. I think it was those two. Um, and Jess, who is my husband now, we've been married 30 years. He was finishing Congratulations. up. Thank you. He was finishing up law school in San Francisco and we had just kind of started going out. And he said, look, you know, we might have something here. 
but I don't do long distance. So why don't you grab a couple of girlfriends from college, move out to San Francisco, and let's see if we can make a go of this. And I thought, well, okay. So I got three of my friends to move to San Francisco with me. And How um, fun is that? Yeah, it was really fun, but I didn't have a job. And so my parents weren't too keen on me going out to San Francisco because they said, we don't know anybody there. And I said, well, now you will. And they said, well, you know, you're going to have to get a job before you go because it's not like we're going to fund this adventure. So when I had been visiting Jess, I had met one person and I called that person because he said he was starting a business. I couldn't really remember what it was. And I called him up and said, I'm looking for a job. Do you have one for me? And he said, sure. I'm starting a securities business, and I'll put you on the OTC trading desk as my assistant. What's well, OTC stand for? Well, I didn't know either, <laughs> um, but it's over-the-counter stocks. Oh. And so I, hadn't, I didn't have a finance degree. I didn't have any kind of business background whatsoever. So I said yes, told him when I'd be in San Francisco, and I went to the bookstore and bought a book called Understanding OTC Trading, and I read it on the way out to San Francisco. And uh, I got there, and he said uh, I had to pass my Series 7, which is a uh, standardized test for securities traders. So I got out the book, and I studied it, and I passed that test. But the moral of the story is people always said, what are you going to do with that English degree? Ha, ha, ha. What are you going to do? You know, Study for your Series 7 test. What I tell people is with you know, a liberal arts degree, if you can read, write, follow instructions, you can do anything. What a great point. So what trading securities taught me was, first of all, I can do anything because I learned by the seat, flew by the seat of my pants. Um, and also it taught me how to buy low and sell high. You know, and you don't, ha you can leave some money on the table. It doesn't matter. If you sold it for more than you bought it, you're good. Don't sweat it. Just keep going. Buy something else and sell it. Are you still doing that? Uh, Are you a day trader? No, no, no. I'm not. No, no. I'm a, I do it sort of with books, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really good at going in, just like traders sometimes do, just get a feel, you know, I think that's a good buy. I can go in and look at a library and kind of look at it and go, mm, yeah, I can make money off that. So that's kind of how I've done it. You never know what stepping stone is going to lead you to your destiny. That's right. And uh, early in my book um, buying career, I came across a huge collection of medical books that I went to a sale. And it was way out on Geyer Springs and Chico. And I thought, there aren't going to be any books there, but I don't know. It, it's a sale. There aren't any other sales today. I'm going to go. Because that's where I was getting my books were at estate sales in the beginning. So I went out to this estate sale not knowing anything and, and opened these warehouse doors. And there were 12,000 books in there. They're all medical books. So I bought 300 books. I put them in my Mini Cooper. I drove home, unloaded them. I went back the next day. I bought 300 books went home, unloaded them, and that night I just couldn't sleep. And I turned to Jess and I said, I, I, I got to have those books. I got to have all of them. So I bought all of them. I bought 12,000 books. and I 12,000 books. Yes, and it took 10 years to sell them all. And so I, after I bought all these medical books, it turned out the guy who had owned them had been a neurosurgeon. So I had to throw myself into medicine. And one of the biggest compliments I got was somebody emailed me and said, um, you know, what about this book? It was like a $600 book. It was a really nice book. And he said, but I also want to know where you got your background in neurosurgery. <laughs> and I just wrote back and said, look, you know, I got a background in whatever will make me a dollar today. <laughs> and today it's neurosurgery. <laughs> so um, that's how the securities background, I think, buying and selling played into 
book buying and, and your literature and your uh, degree in English taught you how to read everything and right. comprehend and also just being comfortable with books and comfortable with other languages you know all you have to do is know a little bit of a language to figure out what you got get the vocabulary that's right and you know if the book's in Latin I know a little bit of Latin I can figure it out I can get on now I can get on uh, Google Translate and figure out anything so oh, really yeah and um, so if it's I, in yeah. French or Latin or Italian, I can figure it out. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. My guest today is Kate Askew, owner-operator of the very cool Yellow Dog Press Company in Little Rock, Arkansas, which we're going to talk about in the next break. She's the founder of the Kate Askew. You changed your name. I've got to change it. Kate Askew Appraisers? Well, yeah, I just, yeah, there's no, it's just appraisal and consulting. I do estate consulting and appraisals. Okay, which uh, where she uses her expertise and experience as she gives value to the written word, books, and art, and really, you said any personal property besides any personal the house. property, mm-hmm. yeah, besides the house. She is also you are also a very successful online reseller of said items that I just mentioned, which I didn't realize came from you. You, you got your savvy in that from being in um, securities trading. Securities. Well, trading. and also, first of all, I'm extremely ADD. And so you are. Yeah. So I, I have, never thought that. Yeah. My husband calls it the bird squirrel problem. It's like there's a bird. Oh, there's a squirrel. It's like <laughs> stick with one thing. But anyway, so I, so having lots of different things to do, printing, book selling, uh, appraising. And also I like to be with people. Um, so I worked in the estate sale business for a long time with Roy Dudley, who is still a really good friend of mine. And I was his book and paper specialist. And consulted with some other estate sale dealers, too. But Roy's business is so incredibly fascinating that I totally fell into it. And um, and when you're doing that, that's all you want to do. And so I wanted to be able to do my books and printing. So now I consult with him every once in a while, but I don't work with him. Full-time. So you so let, so in the first break or in the first part of the show, we talked about how you went out to, to San Francisco and got your Series 7 license and was a day trader. Or no, a, not a day da, trader, not just day, uh, over-the-counter. Over-the-counter uh, trader. And listed stocks trader. And then I moved to Little Rock. Got married. Uh, got married. And worked for Stevens? Worked at Stevens for a while. And then... This was ancient history. This was so long and then, ago. But then you, just so that people will follow the train right. here, then you, then you quit that job and raised children for your yes, girls I did. for a couple of years. Yes, I did. I had two small children. And my uh, husband, Jess, was um, beginning his law career, and we just couldn't do it all. So mm-hmm. some, something had to give, and it, it was um, my job. Mm-hmm. And I was, went home to stay with the children, and I loved it. And then you decided to go back and help uh, Roy Dudley first, or you got interested in eBay trading books online first? First, I got interested in trading books on eBay first. And I was buying a lot of books from Roy, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I buy and sell books. And he said, well... I need a book specialist. And so that's when I started working with him and did books, paper, and ephemeral items. And ephemeral items are anything that should have been thrown away. Like if you have your Harvard-Yale football ticket stud from 1921, that would have been something that should have been thrown away, and it's not. So that would be a piece of ephemera. Posters. Um, posters that would have been, um, let's say it's a, it's a poster that would have been uh, pasted to a barn wall advertising like barnstormers or something like that. That's ephemeral. Do you find, do you do the research online? How do you figure out what the value is of stuff? Um, I do online research and I've got a, a good bit of base knowledge, but I can also, um, I mean, I used to not have the internet, obviously. So you just have to fly by the seat of your pants. But with the internet, now you can really pretty much pinpoint what you have. 
Um, and that's really fun. It's just really fun. I, I get into the thrill of the hunt and, um, and the history of things. I love Arkansas history. I have a lot of really cool historical Arkansas things. And I, I know this is radio, but um, I brought um, uh, William Woodruff was the uh, printer to the territory in Arkansas. He was the first printer in Arkansas, and he started the Arkansas Gazette in 1819. And um, it's still the oldest paper west of the Mississippi. You know, the Democrat absorbed it, so it's still the same, you know, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And so I love anything that William Woodruff printed, but his things are pretty rare. I mean, Arkansas was a territory when he was printing. But I do have two um, books I brought. um, In plastic. Well, I I have them in the little sleeve just because they're um, fragile. They're fragile. Um, But one is the 1825 Acts um, of the Territory. And one is the 1834. And, um, and it says, Little Rock, printed by William E. Woodruff, printer to the territory. And I think that's really cool. How much do you think those books were worth? You know, I really don't know. Um, these were actually gifts of a friend who knows I love William Woodruff. So I'm not sure of the value. I've never looked it up. Because you're not selling them. Because, um, you know, I'm not selling them. Um, we were looking uh, before, before, we went, um, before we went on the radio. We were doing Facebook Live, and you showed on facebook that little tiny my tiny book, book. Yes, the, the young people and the old at my house like to to see my tiniest book which is probably about um one inch by one inch. one inch by one inch and it's actually a modern book it was printed in 1989 but it was letterpress printed hand set so to to get to where the printing is after um buying and selling books for about um i don't even know um several years um, I began to be obsessed with how books are made, um, the, how the printing is done, what, the, what kind of paper it is, how, how the binding was made. And um, so I decided I wanted to learn, I was going to teach myself how to set handset type, which is ridiculous. That's like saying I want to teach myself how to fly an airplane. You, you can't do it by yourself. But I didn't know that. So um, as you said in your intro, Mm -hmm. um, I was searching the classifieds and I found a platen press, a huge platen press, which is one of those flywheel presses and type that I bought from a man in Hot Springs and I bought it for $200. Oh, wow. And um, the movers broke it. They were delivering it to me and it fell on its flywheel. It crushed the flywheel. It broke the drive shaft and I had a broken printing press in my garage. And so I called around to find out who could fix this press. And everybody said to me, you need to talk to John Horn. And I knew John. I had met him at the art center, but I I actually didn't know he was a printer. So I called him up and I said, I broke a printing press. And he said, did you buy that one in Hot Springs? And I said, yes. And he said, I was going to go get that. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine who else bought it, but let me come look at it. So we came to look at it. It turns out it was an extremely rare press. There's only one other one known in existence, and it can't be fixed. Oh. But through the broken printing press, I met John Horn, and he said, do you want to learn how to set type? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, come on out, and I'll teach you. Oh, wow. And so he did. And so that's how I learned how to hand set type was from someone who was willing to take the time to teach me. And if your movers hadn't broken it, you might not have I met might it. not. You probably would have. I well. don't know. I don't know. That's, that press still sits out at John's. That's not the one that's in your shop? Mm-mm. We couldn't fix the one that I broke. He could never fix well, that it, one. Well, these are huge pieces of cast iron, and it would have to be, it's a huge drive shaft that would have to be Yeah, I cast. think that that guy should have paid you for moving it. Well, you know, it was Christmas. What are you going to do? 
know, you got <laughs> people make people make mistakes. Yeah, I, it, it was done. It was spilled milk. Um, so that's how I came to printing. And then um, there were other people who were um, learning to print out at John's, and and I got together with Lamry Ritalonis, another printer, and um, we pooled our resources and opened a little shop. So and, and this other printer was a apprentice of John's, also. Right? Yes, another uh, John Horn apprentice. Yes. And so together, you made a co-op. We made a co-op, and we have a third person in our co-op too. And um, the three of us pooled all of our equipment. Um, it's really hard to find this stuff. It's hard to find the wood type. It's hard to find the metal type. And I scoured the U.S. all over, up and down I-40 for 10 years, buying wood type and metal type. And have a really nice collection now. It's hard to find type. It's really hard to find it. Especially now, it's really changed in the past. 15 years ago, if I found it, I could afford it. And um, in the past, like, six to eight years, there's been a huge resurgence in the interest in letterpress printing. And a lot of people say it's a balanced thing. And the woman who started Twitter knows how to handset type. It's sort of the more technological we are, the more people want to go back to the basics. What'd you say? The woman who started Twitter handsets type. Is that how she does 40, why she does 42 characters? No, I have no idea. All I know is that she handsets type or I read that you know you can't believe everything you read on the internet or Twitter but um, no I just think that the more technological we get the more people want to get back to the basics so in the past six to eight years all the universities are offering book arts programs and they're buying up all this equipment so stuff that people used to say get it out of here is now really expensive so it's good that I got things when I got them because the price I couldn't I couldn't get it now um, I couldn't afford it yeah, those printing presses that are in your place right. are so heavy. They have to be on a slab. On a pallet. you got to have special equipment to move it. Obviously, I learned the hard way. Um, and it's just really specialized moving. But I'll tell you what, the way a lot of people print, because there are a lot of people who are able to have a, a Chandler and Price um, platen press like I have in the garage, is if you are a wily young person with your computer skills, then you can design whatever you want on an InDesign program, send off and have a plastic plate made, and you can put that on your press and print with that. So you don't have to have wood type and metal type. So most of the letterpress printing you see is done off a, pl a polymer plate. What's polymer mean? It's plastic. It's oh. a plastic plate that, you, that people send off for. But that's not what yours is. But that's not what I do. Um, I do a little bit of polymer. I will say um, my teacher calls it heresy, but I do a little bit of polymer plate um, things because people want things that I can't do and in that case I'll do polymer plates um, but 99.9% .9 of what I do is handset letter by letter justified by hand on my Chandler and Price or my Vandercoat. So I brought my grand so you were at your place the other day and I drove by and I saw your car there because you're not always there and I had my grandkids with me and I um, they were so adorable, and they were so interested in what I was doing. My grandson was so interested in what you were doing. Well, it's visually exciting, and it's big equipment that moves fast, and it makes something. And uh, so tell our listeners how you, you do it exactly. You go to your drawers. Well, I have cabinets full of type. And you have to be careful when you open the drawers because they're so they're, heavy. That's right, and and they're called cases, um, and um Actually, that's where uppercase and lowercase comes from because the, the bigger letters were above the smaller letters. So that's where uppercase and lowercase comes from because those drawers you pull out are really called cases. 
And, um, and that lowercase is the heavier case and the uppercase is the smaller? No, uppercase oh, so is the bigger letters, but it just, you know, it's just uppercase and lowercase is at some point how it was situated in okay. the cabinet. Okay. And, um, and um, you have to decide what font you're going to use, and then you have to have that font. So any newspaper, anybody who printed anything, you were only as good as how many fonts of type you had. That's how um, you would decide what you're going to print is by what you have. If you were lucky enough to have lots of different type, then you had a lot of choices, but you're limited by what you actually physically have. Which you're not if you're if you're on a computer program and put oh, yeah. it in Just a computer. You can have whatever you want. But we're lucky in our shop because we have a really nice um, collection of wood type and metal type that we use. Is there an advantage for wood or metal? Well, it had to go to metal because it was so heavy. Once, uh, um, once the lead got a certain um, you know height, um, the bigger the font, it's just too heavy to cast. So it had lead. to go to wood. You had to go to wood. Okay, so then you take those, and you, you took my grandson's name, and you spelled out his name. Right. And then you inked. Then you have to put ink on the press. And, which is the platen. Uh-huh. And, well, in this case, he was using uh, the Vandercook, so it was, it's a little different. You just put the ink on the rollers, mm-hmm. and you put the, um, the, the letters on the bed of the... Press. Of the press, thank you. And then mm-hmm. you put the paper in and you roll the paper over it. And everything has to be type high. Point nine one eight is type high. So what does that mean? Uh, it just point nine one eight of an inch. Um, everything on the bed has to be the same height, so it hits the paper at the same time. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And and that height is point nine one eight. Yes. And but- so if you're a polymer plate printer, you have a special bed on your press. That with that bed and the piece of plastic, it's .918, so it's type high. This is a lot to learn. No wonder you had to have John come teach you how to yeah, do it all. exactly. It looked really easy when you did it, but that's because you did it all for us. And then you inked up the... Well, most things the... look easy till you realize how you have to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. And what I loved about it is every one that we printed was just slightly different. It was kind of like screen printing. I kept right. thinking about Andy Warhol while we were doing it because I thought every one of these is just slightly different. Well, there is kind of a letterpress look because most of the wood type and metal type people find has been be- beat up because it was used. It wasn't anything. It was, wasn't a pe- work of art then. It was, it was work. It was utilitarian. You couldn't print a, a poster or a billboard or a newspaper unless you had that type, unless you had that font of type. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. My guest today is Kate Askew, owner-operator of the very cool Yellow Dog Press Company in Little Rock, Arkansas. And she's a successful online reseller of books and what's that word? Ephemera. Ephemera. A new word for you there. If you've got questions or comments for my guest or for me, this is your chance to call. The number is 501-433-0088. Or you can send an email to? The email is questions at upyourbusiness.org. And I'm tweeting, so you can tweet me at McCoy, and we're using the hashtag upyourbusiness. Uh, before the break, we talked about Roy Dudley Estate Sales and how you loved working for him, which was really cool. Really fun. Mm-hmm. But you're not doing that anymore. I do. Uh, every bit. once in a while, I still consult with Roy, but... Um, but I used to work with him full time and I don't do that anymore just because I wasn't able to get my own printing and book work done because his work is so fascinating. It really is. And then you, to, to work at, uh, as an appraiser, do you need to be licensed? Yes. 
Um, I, I am licensed with the Certified Appraisers Guild of America. Um, actually, Roy and um, a friend of ours, Melissa Goulden, and I all three went together and got our certification several years ago. It was really, really fun. So Roy's appraiser, too. Yes. and so For books or for different things? For if it's Just like me, personal property. Mm. Uh, Roy has um, three uh, certified appraisers on staff, um, and um, we, we had the best time going to get our certification. And that's when I decided to get my auctioneer's license too and you know you can only do so much and I like to go and try things and go down a rabbit hole I was not a good auctioneer I was terrible at it and I would so be terrified I decided, to do that I thought I'm a fast talker I'm going to be able to do that it didn't work but that's okay because if you don't try things then you don't know if you're going to like it hear that listeners you got to try things and you got to fail. Can't have that fear of failure hold you back. But, um, you know, a lot of what brought me to, uh, to printing was just the love of the printed word. Um, and also, I, I write poetry. And it's a way for me to showcase my own poetry. My husband calls it loud poetry because I do it on big posters. And, and you lose some pretty and, and yeah, loud I, words. Yeah, I use big <laughs> words. Uh, sometimes four-letter words. I was trying um, to how to say that. Curse words. But, um, <laughs> but not always. I mean, No, this one doesn't have a bad word in it. Um, this is one of the first posters I ever made of my own poetry, and it says, If it is a soul-crushing, blood-rushing, heart-popping, jaw-dropping, head-aching, breath-taking, plan-tossing, ocean-crossing, life-betting, no-regret-gretting kind of thing, it just might be love. Oh, that's awesome. And sometimes you just got to take a chance and uh, go to a city that you've never been to and take a job in a field you don't know anything about, and you just don't know where it's going to lead you. That is just beautiful. For everybody that wasn't listening at the beginning, that's how she did met her husband. Um, but the other thing is, is I love the history of Arkansas. And so that takes me back to William Woodruff, who was the first printer in Arkansas, printer to the territory in 1819. And... Um, and if you'll let me, I was going to read a little bit from a letter that was written about his print shop. Absolutely. Um, this is a letter um, that actually my teacher found and, um, and, and set to type, but it's one of my favorite What do you mean your about, teacher? Uh, John Horn. Oh, my okay. Printing teacher, John Horn. Mm-hmm. And it's a letter um, from Hiram Whittington in April of 1827 to his brother. And he had just gotten to Arkansas because uh, William Woodruff hired him to be a printer, and he was coming from Boston. So this was 1819. This kid was coming from Boston to Little Rock. On a horse. Uh, well, he came by, by steamboat and canoe and foot. It, he talks about how hard it was to get here. Um, and so he writes, um, in the afternoon of Sunday on the 6th day of December, we arrived in Little Rock. Uh, Little Rock is situated on the south bank of the Arkansas, contains about 60 buildings, six brick, eight frame, the balance log cabins. The best building in the place is the printers. It is built of brick and is as good as any office in Boston. Little Rock Academy is a log hut, and the state house is a little low wooden building about 10 feet by 16. The town has been settled about eight years and has improved very slow. The trees are not cut down in the town yet. Instead, the str- in the streets of streets, we walk in cow trails from one house to another. The town, and I believe the whole territory, is inhabited by the dregs of Kentucky, Georgia, and Louisiana, but principally from the former, and a more drunken, good-for-nothing set of fellows never got together. The secretary of the territory and the judges of the Supreme Court drink whiskey out of the same cup with the lowest born and roll together in the same gutter. 
There have been more than a dozen murders committed here, but their murderer was always acquitted. The greatest drunkards fill the most responsible offices. And then he goes on to say... Oh my gosh, that's priceless. It's hysterical. And then he goes on to say, of the female part of the community, I have not much to say, as there are five grown girls in the township, and they are all as ugly as sin and mean as the devil. It is a famous place for parties. I have been to three since I have been here, where they have a violin and dance all night. And as there are not girls to form a set, all the old women dance and lie in bed the next day. The men get drunk and generally have a fight before they get home. Last Sunday, I saw two French ladies walking out, each with a young coon in her arms. They are used instead of lap dogs. And then one more thing he said, and then I'll quit uh, reading. No, don't stop. Keep one more going. thing he said to his brother, he was talking about the food they were eating, and he said, the Indians sometimes bring deer and buffalo meat to town and try to sell it, but the folks are such intolerance that they seldom purchase any. They think there is nothing like a dead hog. Oh, now, so, we, now we root for the dead hog. Yeah, Rego exactly. Well, and everybody here still loves a dead hog. Yes, we do. So I think that's really fun to... Um, see Little Rock through the eyes of an outsider in 18, 1823. So, that ought to make everybody want to start collecting old books. Well, or in old documents and go back and look at old documents and um, you just never know what's going to turn up in your hands. I don't even know what to say after that. That was priceless. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It's really fun. So I don't even know where to go from that. I guess we'll go back to, this is going to be boring after that. I guess we'll go, oh, tell us what that other book is that you have there that you said is written by. Oh, Jeffrey Chaucer. It's a, it's, it, it was written by Chaucer. Uh, it was printed in 1561, and it's actually a fragment. It's not the whole book. Um, and who, tell who Chaucer is. Jeffrey Chaucer wrote the Canterbury Tales, and um, he is one of our most famous writers of all time. And he wrote stories and really good ones. And I found this fragment. Um, Why do you call that a fragment? It looks like a full book. It's not a full book. It's part of a book. It's, and it's bound? It is bound. And, and about 300 years ago, somebody bound it. Um, but they took out, it was a book that had the Canterbury Tales in it and um, this thing called, the ro a story called The Romance of the Rose. So how old is the book? It's 1561. It was printed in 1561. But it was bound 300 years ago, which is it what makes rebound. it. It was rebound. Rebound 300 um, It was printed in 1561, and about 300 years ago, I guess somebody wanted the Canterbury Tales out of it and not the rest of it. So this is the rest of it. But I can tell from the vellum binding, vellum being sheepskin, and the age of it about when it was bound. And so I'll buy a fragment. I don't care. It's not the whole book. It's so cool. It's so beautiful. It's Look at beautiful. that font. What is that? It's Did black letter. So when printing started, it's, a, it's an arbitrary date of 1450 that they say that Gutenberg um, invented movable type. Um, yes, we need to talk about that in a minute. Right. Well, um, the first fonts of type mm -hmm. were designed after letters that the monks scribed. So everything before... Uh, movable type was was copied you know and that and movable type oddly enough was 14 AD right no no 1450 AD no yeah yeah uh-huh who would have thought movable type was that old no no was, no 1450 uh, you know just 500 years ago oh I see yeah that still seems like a long time ago I would have thought it was in the 1800s that no 1450 is before the 1800s I know but I would have thought that movable type started in the 1800s no 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 1450 Although the Chinese had versions of movable type long before that, just not cast in metal the way Gutenberg did it. Gutenberg figured out how to cast it in metal and how to have multiple letters that you could move. He printed a Bible. It's one of the most famous printed items, and you can go to Germany and see it in the museum, Gutenberg Museum. 
Um, I was just surprised to hear that it was... That, 1450? Yeah, that seems like a really long time ago. I didn't realize that. It was a long time ago. I know. Um, and um, so before movable type, okay. everything was handwritten, and monks wrote it, and, um, and not many people were literate, and it was hard to get these things. So you had to be a person of means to even have a book and to be literate. So when movable type came along, all of a sudden things could be reproduced cheaply and easily and people were able to learn to read and information was able to get to people. So that's, you know, that it was a huge revolution. It was like um, the internet. Exactly what the internet did for, for our age. Mm -hmm. Right. So information um, age, another for, information age. Right. And, um, so that's how that all got started. But so this font, uh, in this mm -hmm. particular book is copied. It's a black letter font. It's just a, it's a, copied from the type of writing the monks would do in the monasteries. Oh, so. I see what you're saying. They replicated what a hand written. Yes, exactly. And then later people Look how realized. how tiny it is. Yeah, later people realized that that was kind of hard to read. And so other um, fonts were developed, designed. You know, because this has a lot of serifs on it. That's right, it does. And so one of one of the greatest uh, type designers of our time was Frederick Gowdy, and he he designed over a hundred type fonts. Um, and I, I have a book um, here. I'm, I'm sorry, it's radio, and you can't see it, but it's a vellum book um, that was printed at the Village Press, which was Frederick Gowdy's personal press so so since he's my guy oh yeah that's really much like cleaner yeah you can really see and he designed most of the typefaces that we use today how he, did he put a picture in there well because this was printed much much later oh, this seen. was printed in 1901 oh okay yeah um and so that's actually a half tone so um but he also has woodcut ornaments here um but um you know everything that's old is new again and all the internet fonts are copies of all the metal fonts and all the metal fonts are copies of older metal fonts so everybody rips everybody off they always have um but when people come to my shop and they want an it they show me a font and it's an internet font i'll say i don't have that but i have what i believe it was riffed off of and that's this font over here and i'll take them to the type cabinet and show them the font that's closest to that so that's really fun. So I'll take them to the case, the upper case or the to, lower yeah, case. Exactly. And so I'm a huge type nerd and trying to figure out where, uh, what fonts are when they come into the shop because they don't always have a tag saying what they were. So you have to research and figure out what it is and where it came from. That's a whole other rabbit hole of figuring out where your type came from. Do you make any money? Um, I make money off my books. And I make enough money off my printing to cover the overhead. It's really um, a hobby, though, isn't it? Um, no, it's a business. It is, and I'm working really harder to make more money at it. Um, but um, it's just, it's a difficult way to make a lot of money. I mean, if you're, if you're really going to make money, and people do, you got to have bigger machinery than I have that makes multiples that you can crank out. And so my biggest run is 150. So I don't have, there, there's a press called a Heidelberg Windmill, um, that really is like a little airplane. It's so complicated. And a lot of people who sell commercially can set that thing and print 5,000. So mm. I don't have one of those. So it's more than a hobby. Um, it's less than, you know, just a huge moneymaker. Um, but it's a lot of joy, a mm -hmm. whole lot of joy. And between my printing, 
my um, book selling and my appraising, it is a business. Mm -hmm. So um, I sort of have lots of different wily ways I can make money and I enjoy all of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's mostly what they have in common is everything I do takes a lot of research and concentration and I'm able to fall into whatever it is um, researching and really get a bang out of it. Sometimes I have a hard time coming out um, and being social, but you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. My guest today is Kate Askew, owner-operator of the very cool Yellow Dog Press Company in Little Rock, Arkansas. And she also has a successful online reseller under the name, well, I don't even know what name you sell Yellow under. Yellow Dog Press. You do sell under the Yellow Dog Press. So the past hour we have talked, we're in the last 10 minutes of the show, and for the past hour we've talked about working as an appraiser and getting your license. We've talked about... Um, um, the success of being an online reseller a little bit. Is there something that you can tell our listeners? Is there something that you didn't expect when you started, uh, when you opened up your eBay account? <clears throat> Excuse me, an Etsy account. That, was there something that you would advise people to do or not to do? And are you still on eBay and Etsy at the same time? Okay, so those are all good questions. Um, <laughs> I think the most important thing is to diversify and adapt. Um, if something's working for you, keep doing it. If it's not working for you, quit doing it. I mean, I, for a long time I sold books on, um, on American Book Exchange, Alibris, Amazon, um, in addition to eBay and, you know, any place else I could. I tried antique malls. That didn't work. That's not where people buy books. Um, and eventually um, I, I quit selling on a, a, Abe and Alibris and American Book Exchange. I did very well on those for a long time, but when I realized – that it was getting harder and harder to make a buck on those. I went back to eBay, um, which I really like because, you know, people complain about it because they take a chunk. But, you know, where else am I going to find a buyer in China for my book? You know, What about Etsy? Um, Etsy, I tried. Etsy have not had a whole lot of success with. Other people have figured that out. And it's just figuring it out. Um, people, you know, I'm selling posters, not books. Uh, I was on, on Etsy. I don't have anything up right now. Every once in a while, I'll what put about something Amazon? up. Amazon, I'm not selling on right now. Amazon has gotten so hard to sell on. Yeah, I mean, it really has. I mean, we've been talking about getting off Amazon. Flag and Banner's been talking about getting off Amazon right now. There's so much competition. Um, and in, in the beginning, I, I did very well on all three of those book venues. Um, but what happened was with books is that, you know, 20 years ago, I've got the book. And it doesn't look like anybody else has it. Well, the way the Internet has developed anybody who has that can now put it online you don't have to be a specialist you don't have to be a book dealer you can be bob in your uncle's library and realize you know that's worth something and sell it so the true availability of things has come to light it's like a lot of other collectibles glass and you know figurines and you you have there's a supply somebody's got to want it and on ebay two people have got to want it really if you're going to get a lot for it um but you have to find something you like doing enough that it's not going to drive you nuts if you spend a lot of time doing it and 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 aren't successful just right away i had a i had pretty immediate success on ebay selling books so that was good and i was able to really dive into it but i love researching them and writing the descriptions and all that kind of stuff so uh what's your favorite what's your most interesting thing you ever found or sold you either bought or sold 
um, all your... I'll tell I'll tell you an interesting thing I found. Um, I, I love to look at the classifieds in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I just love to. I like to look at them and see what people are selling. I think it's fascinating. And so I scoured them for years for printing equipment. I mean, every morning that was just part of my routine. Is anybody selling printing equipment? And I saw one day where it said selling printing equipment and it had a number. It was an Arkansas number. I didn't know it was where where, where it was. And I called and the man said. Uh, I asked him if he had any printing equipment. He said, well, I've sold it all. He said, I've sold all my offset equipment. And I said, well, actually, I'm looking for letterpress equipment. I'm looking for handset type. He said, well, you know, I think I might have some of that. He said, why don't you come on over? And I said, well, where are you? And he was in Brinkley. So I grabbed a friend who had a truck, and I said, do you want to go on an adventure? Mm-hmm. And we drove to Brinkley, and it turned out the man's grandfather had started the Brinkley Argus newspaper in 1878. And when they quit using their metal type, somebody shoved it in a back room, and there it was, still sitting there. And he sold it to me. And it's beautiful. It has a history. So I have on all those cabinets. This type came from the Brinkley Argus. And I use it. And, you know, it sat for 50 years untouched in somebody's back room. So sometimes you got to pick up the phone and call and ask and and that's also one of the great things i learned when i was trading securities i was so terrified to pick up the phone um and the person i was working for stood over me and said pick up the phone pick up the phone pick up the phone and handle it when the voice comes on the other end and so i learned to fearlessly cold call is what it you know, used to do we didn't mm-hmm. do too much of that but i would have to call other people so now i just pick up the phone sometimes and find out what's out there i think that's one of the things i teach tim how many times have i said that to you a few times a few uh-huh. times pick up the phone pick up the phone call them call them yeah there might have been a few expletives in there pick up the phone <laughs> <laughs> so at the break we talked about ben franklin and we were like well i know that ben franklin was an original pamphleteer and i know that pamphleteers have been thought of much like blogging today uh, they had something to say and they said it they did um, and ben franklin was a printer he started out as a printer's devil a printer's devil is someone who uh, who, who is a small child usually who's uh, running errands in the print shop and putting coal on the fire and sweeping and eventually they get to set type and learn how to be a printer and he he started out as a printer and he was many, many things, but uh, we admire him because uh, he, he did a whole lot for printing. And Tim said something about he's the only person on a bill that wasn't a, on, a, on currency that wasn't a... President, that's right. Mm-hmm. And after I left you, Kate, we looked up what a devil, printer's devil is, and a devil's another word for apprentice. Right, apprentice. So there are a lot, a lot of different devils. You know, you didn't, it's not just a printer's devil. There are other professions that had them, but um, it was a way for a small child to get their start in a trade. A long time ago. You know, uh, there's a, it does seem like we have put together rules to protect our young, uh, labor laws to protect our young, and so many times they don't get to go and become apprentices or work in an industry. Which is, which is not a bad thing. You know, they need Why? to be kids. But I do think, I, do, I, I know where you're going with this, mm-hmm. and that is that working with your hands and learning skills builds confidence. And I don't care if you're 10 or 70 learning a new skill and um and excelling at it and getting out of your comfort zone yeah which is what this radio show has been for me for sure <laughs> and for me too yeah well you do a good job oh you're nice thanks um so we talked about what motivates you what motivates me is history um 
you know, I look at a book and I wonder who held it before me, especially a book that's from 1500, 13, like this one right here. I wonder who held this book and why did it survive? Have you heard that more? Have you heard people say things that there's a smell inside of a book that gets you high? No, that's the craziest thing that I've ever heard, heard in my life. Look, Tim's shaking the, his head. He's heard that too. That is a fallacy. That is the craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. Oh, that you just is, ruined it that for is me. Like the biggest urban myth. I hate to debunk, but no. Uh oh, we I got mean, a fault. We got a phone call calling calling in. They may be about to debunk your debunk. Let's see what they, what they say. All right, we'll take them real quick. Real quick. Uh, this is uh, up in your business with Carrie and Kate. Have you got a question for us? Yes. First of all, I'd like to say that I have enjoyed this program so much. I'm a KBF supporter, and this is probably the most exciting program that I hear on the station. And uh, thank you, I'm a big blues fan. But I have a letterpress question for you. You say you're still using a lot of that original uh, type. Yes. Uh, now that, that lead has been so outlawed, how are you? How are you blocking engaging your type? I don't have a, I don't have a lead. It's not 100% lead. It's an alloy. Um, there's lead in it, but there's all, there are also other components to it. And I don't have a problem handling lead. It's just not something that ever crosses my mind. But I don't think handling it, I mean, you're not sniffing it. I'm not eating it. And you're not eating it. And I wash my hands a lot. The um, ink probably is worse for you. No, nah, I mean, not really. I mean, probably the chemicals cleaning the ink is probably the worst thing, um, which is why a lot of people have gone to other natural things. I, I use, still use the old harsh chemicals. But um, no, um, net, lead's not something I worry about. That's a good question, but it's not a concern of mine. Thank you. All right, it's time for us to say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kate. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was. And you said fun. it would go by fast. It did go by fast. It, I was even very Even though worried. it's hot in here, isn't it? It's all right. I don't mind it. Thank you. I have a present. Nope, nope. You're not leaving yet. I have a present for you. I bet you don't have this in your print shop. <gasps> no, I don't. It's uh, so for our listeners. It's a U.S. flag and, and an Ar- Arkansas flag. Little desk set you can put on your shelf. I will over put there. that on. Thank you so much. I'll I'll, I'll cherish this. Thank you so much. You're I appreciate welcome. it. Kent, Tim, who's our guest next week? Next week, it's going to be Rhett Tucker of Moses Tucker Real Estate. Isn't that going to be interesting? Oh, that'll be fun. I want to find out how he's managed to put to get everybody to come back downtown and build all those houses. And he's been he's been at it for like thirty years. Him and Jimmy Moses. All right, to my listeners, if you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, and it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to hear today's program again, or like to download a free copy, go to flagandbanner.com, click the tab labeled Radio Show. There you'll find a podcast with links to resources you heard discussed on today's program. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.